All right, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here today with Maurice Evans. Uh, Maurice played for the Lakers in the 2006-2007 season and was traded early on in the next season in 2007-2008 in the trade that brought uh, Trevor Ariza to Los Angeles. How are you doing tonight, uh, Mo? I'm doing great. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show tonight. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, when I started this podcast a while back, um, last October, you were a guy I thought about initially uh, reaching out to you. So I'm glad I'm finally able to get you on the podcast and give you a chance to share your basketball story with Lakers fans all over the world. Um, this podcast has grown a little bit. It has, you know, I get listens or downloads um, all over the world, Germany, Spain, England, obviously in the U.S. Uh, so it's growing and, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes. So I appreciate you coming on. No, that's great. Um, yeah. So one of the first questions I like to ask when I've gotten a chance to talk to a former Laker uh, how did you get started with basketball, and uh, when did you realize that you had a real future in it? Well, I got started playing uh, what we call in Kansas Diddy basketball. It's kind of a funny name, but it's like essentially just a YMCA youth type uh, basketball uh, league, and it's just it was the most competitive that we had in Kansas. And you know, I was always an all star um, at that level. You know, we they had Mister Biddy mm-hmm. and all these little world biddies and all these. It's kind of similar to the 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 little league world championships that they have for the uh, oh sure little league baseball you see the kids get to get a chance to play and it's televised but it was exactly that without it being televised so we went to Louisiana at nine and ten years old and we represented Kansas for the world bitty championships and things of that nature so once I was able oh, to start wow. having that kind of success it just you know it just let me know that okay if I keep working hard then you know at twelve years old if I'm one of the best twelve year olds at 15, one of the best 15-year-olds and things of that nature. And sure enough, in my high school years, I was able to go to the ABCD camp and, you know, Nike camps and all those things. And I remember being there with Tracy McGrady, you know, and being there with guys who were projected to be, you know, number one picks. And I was, like, ranked uh-huh. not too far behind them. So I was like, hey, I guess I'm, I got a chance at this thing. So I keep working on Oh, wow. Did you play with anyone? Who else was there besides Tracy McGrady? Well, I just remember – the top shooting guards at that time, the rankings I remember at the camp, at the ABCD camp in, in Teaneck, New Jersey, was one being Tracy mm-hmm. McGrady, two was Deion Glover, and then I was third on the list. And I was like, okay, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And if I can just keep this up, and then I was being ranked in the top 40 in the country, you know, on those lists. And I was trying to see what I could do to try and get into the McDonald's game. But unfortunately, I didn't make it into the McDonald's game, but mm-hmm. I was the game on play of the year in Kansas and two-time play of the year, state champion uh, there and all those different things. So it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, it was so far, far-fetched at the time. The difference is when I look back upon it was the mentality that I had. I was still, you know, a Kansas kid, came from a really good family, and I was, um, you know, always flying under the radar. So I didn't have that aggressive mentality where I was playing with pros, you know, in my 16- and 17-year-old years. To feel like you know what I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I'm going to to Westwood and playing in UCLA with Magic Johnson and all these great players to feel like I can play and compete on that level. You know I was just I was still satisfied and comfortable with dominating the the landscape where I was at, not thinking I'm about to go dominate the collegiate scene right now for one year and go pro or I'm going straight pro like how Kobe and Tracy McGrady and a lot of those guys had. So back then, I mean, Laker fans will obviously know you for a lot of hustle plays, athletic dunks, uh, dunks in traffic. Was that your uh, style back then as well? Um, my style was more, you know, just an all-around player. But I was always known as a scorer. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is when I sure. got to the NBA, 
most people, um, you know, they, they attribute a lot of my success to being, you know, more of a defensive guy. But they forget, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that I scored and that plays weren't run for yep. me as a player. I was always either in the corner and if they just happened to play broke down, I had to be ready to knock that shot down, not knowing I was going to get the shot mm-hmm. or not. I had to be ready to run the floor to try and get an open basket or make something happen. And that's what I really appreciated about the triangle offense is that, you know, it's interchangeable. So anybody who mm-hmm. runs the floor hard enough, if I beat um, Andrew Bynum or Kobe to the post and I feel like I have a being ordered or some smaller player, I can go get the post spot. And now they run offense through me there. But obviously, the majority mm-hmm. of the game, we're going to say, Kobe, where do you want the ball? Where are you feeling, you know, your hot spots are because he's so talented that we would play off of him and let him dictate where everybody else was. There were certain times when we were able to do that as well. Uh, just getting back to, you know, I, I as a Laker fan, I remember all, a lot of your dunks. Do you remember the very first time you dunked? Uh, 15 years old, you know, was the first time I dunked. I just remember being in Tennessee and I remember being in an AAU tournament and I just remember dunking the ball and I remember, you know, my coach, um, giving me a hard time because he said, oh, you dunk off two feet. You got to dunk off of one <laughs> foot and you got to do it more fluid. And then it was always trying to prove, you know, that I could dunk off of one foot, not just two feet. So I was a much, I was so athletic that, you know, I was fast and I could really get down there and gather myself quicker and once I gathered myself then I had a high enough vertical that it really allowed me to get maximum power so I was used to just wanting to challenge people and go up and over the top versus trying to one foot quick and sneak dunk someone you know sure uh well very cool yeah it's just uh like to ask like to ask the more athletic guys if they remember the first time they dunked so you know your first stop was with Minnesota then you go overseas come back with Detroit and then um, you got traded to the Lakers in the summer of 2006. And during that time, that was the summer the Lakers had just gotten knocked out of the first round by Phoenix. Uh, they come back with a little bit of a retooled roster that includes you. So what was that first Laker training camp like for you with Phil Jackson and Kobe and all those guys? I mean, I was excited to, um, to come and play for the Lakers. It's one of the biggest brands in the world of sports, you know, and, uh, and to be able to come in and have the opportunity to play with Kobe and, and the team, you know, there. And I was coming off of a, you know, a, a, a really strong Detroit Pistons team that had won the championship and, you know, beaten the, the Lakers a couple of years prior and, you know, had a lot of pride, mm-hmm. you know, had a lot of success. So my mentality was coming to try and win the championship. And, uh, and I was really wanting to come in in the first training camp and really establish myself as a starter there. And I just remember the first training camp, I remember before we even started, Phil Jackson came out and said, hey, you know, I want to announce, you know, that Luke Walton's our starting three this year. I just remember saying, like, dang, we didn't even get a chance to compete for the position. And he's already announcing that mm-hmm. here's his starting unit. So that was something that kind of, you know, right away I was like, man, this is going to be an interesting journey. You know, so and it just oh, yeah. went from there. Yeah, it's kind of a unique year in Laker history. Um you know, the previous two years before that were the kind of the first two years uh, after Shaq left, got traded to Miami. And then the, you know, obviously the three years after it were the three straight title runs or um, fi- NBA finals runs, I should say. And so it, it's kind of a season that and people look back over the last de- decade of the Lakers may not be one of the first seasons that they think of. But I remember you guys had a really good, strong, uh, strong start to the year, riding high through the all-star break. And then... I was going to ask, like, what do you think happened in the 
second half of the year where things kind of tailed off. I know Kobe had that streak of four fifty straight uh, point four straight fifty point games um, that was you know kind of required to get you guys back in the playoff hunt. But what do you think happened with that season that kind of uh, where you fell off after the All Star break? I just think that, you know, that season we were just under man, you know, it's kind of similar to like some of the years where the Yankees, you know, had those down years in between, uh, world, world title, uh, wins. And for us, it was similar that, you know, we had certain key players like Kwame Brown wasn't healthy. Uh, Chris Mann wasn't healthy. Andrew Bynum wasn't, hadn't been empowered to the level that he was in the, the next, the years that were to come when he was playing with, Powell and, and other other people, you know, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the very next year, you get a healthier team. You you make a few changes. You you know you put uh, Trevor Reza and Shannon Brown and those type guys in my place. You know, I could have probably played a similar role as a Shannon Brown and things of that nature. But just again, you know, they made moves based upon our need and based upon uh you know you don't play for a Laker franchise. And, uh, and have a subpar uh, underperform, you know? So it's really important for those types of teams to, you know, to, to, to make moves. And, uh, and that's what they end up doing. So early on in that next year, in the 2007, 2008 year, uh, you play a handful of games and you and Brian Cook end up getting traded to Orlando, Orlando for Trevor Ariza. Did that trade catch you off guard or was it something that you were expecting? Yeah, it, it, it totally caught me off guard. You know, because I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, again, Phil, I remember him calling me into his office or into his hotel room. We were on the road playing Indiana. I just remember him calling me up to his room and we were checking out going back to L.A. So obviously that was something that, you know, I was like, man, he's calling me five minutes before the before the before the, the bus leaves. I'm saying, you know, to me, I was like, maybe my first thought was I hope my family's OK. You know, I was, I was just oh, sure. engaged and I was thinking that something was going on because it was a un- unique situation. And so as I go up there, he was really calm. He wasn't looking like his bags were by the door and he was trying to, you know, hurry up and get out of there. He was just like, Hey, you know, I just wanted to tell you that, you know, we just traded you and we thank you for your time and for your commitment here. And, you know, we got someone who's a little bit better defender than you. He's a little bit, younger, a little bit, you know, longer, a little bit this and that. I'm like, man, that's a heck of a way to, to tell me that, you know, he, he's tricking you. Know, <laughs> and so I just remember, um, you know, they say, hey, you'll stay back and fly to, to Orlando in the morning. So I just remember standing in the hotel and going across the street to go eat and uh, and just saying like, man, this is, this is, you know, this had been literally the third, you know, at that point, the second time I've been traded in, 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 in almost as many years, you know. You know, two out of three. Years. Sure, sure. So it obviously came as a shock, and I was the leading scorer off the bench for the Lakers that year. So to be to mm-hmm. be traded like that, it just it, it, you know it's part of the business. Did it make things a little bit easier that you got traded with Brian Cook, or does do they do things like that kind of not necessarily matter? Well, it it definitely helps a situation to be able to have you know someone there that you know. Uh, a comfort zone, but it wasn't like Brian Cook and I. B. Cook and I were were like the best of friends on the Laker team. My best friend at that time was sure. was, was Andrew. So, um, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, as I said, I was engaged, and to then lose that you know, that that comfort, 
that comes from. I'm just like, man, you know, that's really interesting to me. But, and then to get into Orlando and have Stan Van Gundy at the time pull me aside, you know, four or five games into the trade and tell me that I wasn't the A in the trade, I was the B. He told me that he really wanted Brian Cook. Um, told me that he didn't think I was a full oh, NBA, everyday NBA player and that he would only use me sparingly while I would play against bigger guys like LeBron James and D-Wade and guys like that on most nights I wouldn't play. And so I'm sitting here mm. thinking, like, man, I'm in a contract here. I just, just got traded from the Lakers, and here I am a lot to play for a coach who does not value me and, frankly, does not want me. So he's telling me that he's going to just use my skills. And um, and I, who cares about stats? Who cares about wins with that? But he's going to use me as he sees fit, which doesn't really see a, 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 a huge value for me. So at the time, I just remember just praying about it and just saying, man, I'm just going to have the best attitude. I just – immediately told him, I said, thank you. And he said, thank you for what? I said, just thank you for being honest. I said, I hadn't had that mm-hmm. in the NBA at this point, to this point in my career. So I said, the fact that you let me know <laughs> that you weren't going to play me or that you will play me on certain nights and you won't play me on others makes it a lot easier for me now because now I don't have to sit over there on the edge of my sheet coming off the bench and wonder, man, am I going to play? Am I going to play? Am I going to play? Because that's the normal, that's the, the biggest challenge as a bench player is you have to come in and you have to be ready to contribute right away. You have to be in the flow of the game. So you're watching everything that's taking place so that you can make sure that you're in rhythm, but at the same time, it's you're changing the pace of the game, the tempo of the game. And you can't do that if you're over there not paying attention. So you're always on the mm-hmm. edge waiting because that coach might call your name and you got to be ready to come in in a game-ready situation. And so when he told me that, I wouldn't have to worry about that because if I wasn't playing, basically I don't have to be game-ready. I could sit over there and twiddle my thumbs and just watch the game as a fan, you know, and then on the games when I play, yeah. I say, hey, I can be ready to go. And I can play as hard as I can because I know I'm not going to play that much anyway. So what happened with sure, him was sure. when he put me in, I was playing so hard and I was getting steals and dunks and I was just, my sense of urgency was like so high. I'm like, I'm going to be out here. I got way more aggressive because I'm like, if I get the ball, I'm going to try to make something happen. So that's what I was doing. And I ended up having some of the best um, stats of my career. And people don't even know that he ended up starting me shortly after that. But all he yeah, I was going to say you started about two thirds of your game in Orla- two thirds of your games in Orlando. So what he did was he started me, but I only played the first quarter and the third quarter because he felt like I played mm-hmm. so hard that he wanted to use my energy to get us off to a good start in the first quarter and in the third mm-hmm. quarter. And I didn't play in the second or the fourth. So there were games when I would have nineteen seven. There was one game we played in the end. I had seventeen points in the third quarter. We're up by like fourteen points. He doesn't put me back in the game. I literally, in the fourth quarter, they <laughs> overtake the run, the lead, and I finish with 19 points. I'm sitting on the bench because he didn't want to play me in the fourth quarter. You know, but my point was like, you know, that was just that was the system. So he probably told Keith Bogans, who was his starter at the time before I came, that you know, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to be the finisher and all the good games for him to keep his mind in the game. And those are just the type of things that you have to be ready for in the NBA that most people aren't aware of. Yeah, no, that's uh, you're the first guy who's really shared a story like that about you know a coach who wasn't the Lakers coach at the time when they were on the on the team. So that was really interesting. I want to go back to your Lakers stint for just a little bit. Heading into your second season, um, so you guys lose to Phoenix in the first round in five, and then um, that was the off season where Kobe demanded a trade. Uh, so what was was there like a cloud hanging over the team as you guys entered into the training camp in the preseason with all that going on? Or did you feel like the Lakers gonna, were gonna eventually going to work it out and Kobe would not be traded? Well, I actually remember Phil coming to us and saying, 
you know, hey, uh, everybody, and minus Kobe being there, he said we're being held hostage um, by Kobe, and there's not much we can do about it. And at that point, I knew that something significant was about to happen one way or another. Didn't know that that was going to lead to to my departure. You know, out of all of the things that were going wrong, I didn't I didn't realize that, you know, I would be one of the guys who was on the, on the chop block, you know, especially because I knew I played hard. I knew I brought value to the team. But that was one of the other business lessons that I learned is sometimes you can exceed your value in a certain team. You know, and when you do that, then it makes you expendable. And, you know, and Kobe, again, to his credit, brilliant player, and he obviously has a great team in mind. And so he put together a team that he wanted, and they went out and they won a championship. So, oh, yeah. So I don't want to overstep my bounds here, or I don't know how to ask this. Are you saying Kobe had something to do with you getting traded? No, not at all. I'm not saying that. But oh, okay. I misunderstood you. I'm sorry. The, the trades. It's not like players are that oh, gotcha, gotcha. Are left in the dark. So at some point, uh-huh. he had to be able to say, yeah, I want time to Reza. What's going to cost us? You know, we're going to get it done. And I'm sure he wasn't the one that said, here, get Mo, get Ryan Cook, get Kwame here, ship all those guys out, bring me Powell, bring me this, bring me that. But they're looking at it from the perspective of saying, I can play with Powell Gasol. Okay, Trevor Reza, I can count on him to do X, Y, and Z. You know, sure, sure, and, and that's what they're looking at. So, yeah, I played with Kevin Garnett. I played with Chauncey and Rip Hamilton. I played with you know Chris Webbers and you know some of the the best players in the game, Mike Bibby's and guys mm-hmm. in their prime years. So I know what that looks like. And many GMs came to me, you know, and would say, "Hey, you know, here's what we got going on." They valued my 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 basketball IQ, my acumen, and the fact and that's why I was mm-hmm. vice president of player association and things of that nature. They saw those things within me. And so for the little bit of confidence that certain GMs exhibited within me at certain times, it just lets me know that I know they were consulting with those other guys because the locker room small. Sure. That makes There's sense. There's a lot of locker room chatter and talk. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. I misunderstood you there. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding you correctly. No, um, not at all. I definitely so when don't you... want to have anything. I want to go on record as saying Kobe did not have anything. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was grateful for my time with the Lakers. I appreciated playing with Kobe. He's a great player. Cool, cool. Glad to hear that. You know, you hadn't been with the Lakers for that long, uh, just a year and some change. And then uh, you get traded to Orlando. They bring in Powell. And then they're, you know, all of a sudden making the finals for three straight years and winning two titles. And even though you weren't a Laker for that long, was it kind of strange, like watching that from a distance? Yeah, I mean, I I really did feel very much uh, embedded into the Laker culture. And, uh, you know, even with the short time there, I mean, it was one of, it's a team, that out of all the teams I played for, um, I'm most uh, recognized from, you know, it was my stint there. Sure. And I really enjoyed living in L.A., playing there, playing for Phil Jackson, playing with Kobe, playing with Andrew Bynum and all of the, the players that, that I played, Luke Walton. I really enjoyed, you know, playing with him. He's a great teammate. Lamar Odom was one of my, my better teammates that I had throughout my career. Uh, even in that short time, mm-hmm. I loved his, his basketball IQ, you know. Um, but anyhow, you know, those are the things that, made it fun playing for the Lakers and uh and then to be traded and to see them go on to have success was uh I never felt uh you know uh, animosity towards them why or as I didn't want them to see them succeed because I had so many different teams that I played for 
that it was just it, it was more of an interest to me because I knew those guys and I seen them playing in the finals and things like that. Of course, I would have always it would have been great to have been, you know, in those situations. I would have loved to, you know, especially the year where, you know, I played for Orlando, had a really great year, was really productive, helped them become the, the number three seed in, in the East. We had the best record at that mm-hmm. time that they had, had in twelve years in that organization, and then to be uh, shipped out essentially for Mikel Petras to come in and get a, a huge contract in the place where I was, Vince Carter to come in and get a huge contract and start uh, where I was and things of that nature. It's just some of those things are hard to understand. And then they all, they both go to the finals, Lakers versus Orlando. So my previous two teams are now in the finals and here I am. In, oh yeah. I didn't even think about the Orlando part of that. That's true. You know, so it was like, at what point do, you know, was, was, you know, sometimes you, you reflect and you say, what 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 part of the story is this? Because it wasn't like I played, I underperformed in any of those three places. Any of those two places, I, I really performed well, but none of those teams rewarded my efforts. They traded me instead, you know? Mm-hmm. Or didn't resign me. Yeah, like it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I know you move on to Atlanta, play a few years there, and finish off with Washington. And you played in the Big Three last year. Can you uh, go into what your Big Three experience was like? The Big Three was a good experience for me. It was more importantly for me. My son wasn't born and I was still playing in the NBA. And because he wasn't born, he's five years old now. And uh, I left in the year that he was, um, you know, obviously conceived and things of that nature and born. And so, um, you know, uh, for me, it was important to go back and while I still had the opportunity where I could still play to, to – uh, to just play and, and, and give him that experience. So one of my favorite experiences last year was playing in Staples, Staples Center and uh, taking my son and my daughter to the uh, to the Staples Center. And uh, my son, you know, wearing a Kobe jersey and all that. He was he took a picture in the in the Lake locker room where my where my locker used to be, you know. And I showed him. What oh, I think I saw that was. picture on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we were so we were just having fun, and I played on one on one out on the court and. You know, it's just great to now merge and share the memories as I now transition from being a basketball player to being a, a father and a, you know, a family man and an entrepreneur and all these different things, you know. Very cool. Uh, are you going to play in the big three this year? No, I'm, I'm, my, my, my basketball days are officially over. I play in a little program this year and I have fun and coach uh, the kids. And But really, to be candid with you, my schedule is now – so busy that it's, it doesn't really allow me to be, um, you know, a basketball player, even if it's on the weekends or, you know, during the, the, that 10-week stand. I have, you know, I invested in multiple companies. I'm also um, just launched my own, you know, startup company where I'm the CEO and president of the company. So, you know, to be going into meetings with a boot or, a, you know, a cast on or something like that because I got to explain myself trying to play at 39 years old isn't the best business decision for me and my family at this point. <laughs> uh, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Usually uh, I ask guys if they're still playing and most of them have hung up the sneakers for good. And it sounds like you fall into that group as well. Yeah, certainly. I applaud those yeah. guys who can still go out and play at a high level. Cause there's many guys in the big three who were performing extremely well. I mean, I was really impressed with some of those guys, you know, Katino uh, Mobley, uh, you know, Mike Bibby still playing at a high level. Uh, Steven Jackson was just, man, even Brian Cook, you know, he had a really awesome uh, game when we played together. We were teammates again for the for the killer threes, and there was a game where he just went on a 
Brian Cook like Terry, where he was just hitting everything, turning around jumpers, threes, just looking like the cookie <laughs> of old. So it was really fun to even witness that. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, I talked with him about the big three when we did an episode, and I, I think he's playing again. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that'll be cool to watch for the former Lakers in the big three. Mm-hmm. Well, I got uh, one one last question for you. It's kind of a game that I do with uh, former Lakers when they come on the podcast. I'm looking at the complete roster for the 2006-2007 Lakers, your, your full season in Los Angeles. There are 13 names on the roster, including you. How many of those can you name? Um, so you want me to start now? I would say, uh, again, Kobe, uh, Lamar Odom, Luke Walton. That's correct. I'm sorry. There are four, 14 names, including you, not 13, 14, my mistake. So you have Kobe, Lamar, and Luke Walton. And uh, you have Smush Parker. You have Chris Mim. You have Kwame Brown. You have Tony Turioff. You have uh, Andrew Bynum. You have... Uh, um, again, Brian Cook. Um, you have uh, uh, Shaman Williams. Uh, you had uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with my man from Philly, went to Temple. Uh, Aaron Aaron McKee. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, let me see, uh, Jordan Farmer. You have uh, mm-hmm. you know, so those are the all the guards are gone. Then you have. I can't think of the big center, what his name is. He's, uh, remember, he didn't never get to play, but man, he's like African dude. I can't, do it. something I can't think starts with a D, but I can't remember. DJ Mabimbo or something like that. I think, I think you're talking about, uh, Marcus Duhit. Um, no, I'm talking He was on the preseason squad. His name is DJ Mabimbo or something like that. Oh, DJ Benga. He was there. He was there the next year. You're, you're the following season. Yeah, he was there the next year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, well, how many did I name so far? You're missing two. I'm missing two. Oh, okay. So that was our young players from that went to Europe. I'm thinking uh, we're friends on LinkedIn. I can't think of his name right now. But um, anyway, I give who 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 are they? Yeah, uh, Vladimir Radmanovich. Vladi, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, you did. We, we've talked about him a lot the podcast, but you didn't mention him right now, Andrew Bynum. I did. I mentioned Andrew. Oh, did you? Uh-huh. I might have missed it. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned Andrew. Oh, okay, well then maybe. I mentioned. Maybe I you just missed after I, after I mentioned Tommy. Um, um, I mentioned all the bigs together. Oh, okay. Sorry, I might have. I might have missed it. Well, uh, Lottie, I was trying to keep track, but yeah, okay. Think, man, I forgot, man. Vladi, that was my guy. Yeah, yeah. But uh. That, yeah, that's it. Well, that's everybody. Well, that's um, cool. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Mo. I really appreciate you coming on the Forgotten Lakers podcast. Uh, you know, you're. It's funny. I, I post. I have a Forgotten Lakers Instagram, and uh, I post pictures of and videos of you know former Lakers throughout the years. And there have been so many requests from different fans, like, "Oh, go get Mo Evans. Go 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 get Mo Evans." So you uh, brought it up to how beloved you still are with uh, from Lakers fans, and um, you know everyone remembers your time there well. So I appreciate everything you did for the Lakers, and again, thank you for coming on tonight. No, I appreciate, it. and I just want to say one thing to all the Laker Nation. I really appreciate every appreciate every fan and every you know again follow and retweet and all those great things that you all do. Because playing for the Lakers is awesome, was an awesome experience because of the fans and all of that undying support. So even for yourself, 
I appreciate you, Jeff, for just keeping you know, those memories alive and, um, you know, just, you know, um, taking the time out of your schedule to give us a voice here and talk about some of the things that we accomplished in the past. So I wish you the best and I wish all the other forgotten former Lakers I hope they have a great <laughs> podcast and you guys have a great night. Cool. Thank you, Mo. And uh, if it's cool, I'll reach back out to you and maybe you could retweet the link to your episode. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.